0: Welcome to Bitcast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. Licensed games are always kind of an interesting beast to me. They're video games, but they're also merchandise. Hey, did you like this movie? Then how about a video game of that movie? This can go a few different ways. Sometimes they'll just make their own game with it. doesn't really have to tie into the source material other than using the characters in the setting. It's its own experience in a borrowed world. Games like Batman Arkham Asylum or some of the Spider-Man video games, they're really good examples of this. They're steeped in the mythos of the license that they're using, but they're not really following any pre-existing storylines. At least, not as far as I know. But a lot of times, licensed games are just there to recreate the events of their source material. And that is a gamble. A video game and a movie are inherently different experiences, so things that work for a movie won't always work for a game, and vice versa. It's a similar principle to why a lot of movies based off video games tend to fall flat. A lot of times this means that a game will have to come up with entire sequences that didn't exist in the movie just to pad out the playtime a bit. The PlayStation 1 Emperor's New Groove game is a notable example of this. At one point the characters even acknowledge the video game tropes going on, like how in the movie there's that bit where Cusco and Pacha are both strapped to a log and they go down a river for like One brief witty exchange, and then they immediately go down a waterfall. Well, in the video game, you get four levels of them floating along the river. It gets to the point where Pacha says something like, I remember this scene being a lot shorter in the movie. It's not always a bad thing to create new content in the middle of an old story, because if I wanted it to be exactly like the movie, well, why am I playing a game? I could just watch the movie for that. It does actually rub me the wrong way when these licensed games feature cutscenes that are just compressed clips of the movie. That always feels especially lazy. And if the new content meshes well with the rest of the world, then it would feel like a natural part of the story. One example I can think of is the Shrek 2 video game. After they meet Puss in Boots and he joins Shrek and Donkey and the friends who have to be there for Player 3 and Player 4, they need to go to the Fairy Godmother's workshop. In the movie, they just kind of walk in and they tell a quick little lie to get past the front desk, but in the video game, they have to pad it out a little more, so they have a level that takes you all the way to a farm, and then another level inside the farm to deliver a package to the factory, which feels like a natural progression of what the characters need to do to make progress, and it's an affordance that can be made in a video game compared to a movie, which needs to kind of keep the pace brisk. Video games can afford to go on a little longer... Now, since most people are playing a licensed game and they already know what the original... Now, since most people who are playing a licensed game would already know what the original is like, new content will just stick out by default, even if it's done right. But if it's done right, it wouldn't be too jarring, and you could probably find yourself saying, yeah, this might have happened off-screen. It's especially useful if you're working with something comedic like... Again, the Emperor's new groove. That line from Pacha about the level taking a lot longer than the corresponding scene in the movie kinda serves as a bit of a wink and a nod, like, yeah, we know we're doing this a little bit differently, just go with it. I feel like most people consider licensed games to be in the lower echelon of video games, but then they'll have that one exception that they hold dear because it's the one that they happen to play a lot growing up, For me, it's that Shrek 2 video game, and the first Nicktoons Unite. And a bit of a respectful nod towards Spongebob Battle for Bikini Bottom. That game in particular might go down in history as one of the best licensed games of all time. I don't see licensed games getting remakes like that one. Maybe the closest would be the Aladdin and Lion King games that got ported to the Switch after originally being on the Super Nintendo. As far as I recall, the Batman Arkham games and some of the Spider-Man games are also acknowledged as being really good examples of licensed games, and they don't even have nostalgia holding them back. They're just really good. I think the line between what counts as a licensed game and what doesn't can occasionally get a bit blurry. No one has trouble seeing a game like Cartoon Network Punch Time Explosion and saying, yeah, that's a licensed game. But then he gets subtler things, like, for as much of the early advertisements touted Kingdom Hearts as a cross between Disney and Final Fantasy, you're still doing mostly Disney stuff in there, and Disney actually owns the brand. They just have Square Enix publishing the games, so it's a Disney property While I'm not really into any of the games by this developer, I would be remiss not to talk about the licensed games that were done by Telltale Games. I'm just not really into the point-and-click genre, but licensed games really are that company's bread and butter. They got Christopher Lloyd to voice in their Back to the Future game. Their Sam and Max games revitalized people's interest in the franchise as a whole... I often hear the game version of Walking Dead being seen as an equal to the television show, if not superior in some regards. And, of course, I gotta give a shout-out to Strong Bad's Cool Game for Attractive People. But perhaps their crowning achievement, as far as handling licenses goes, would be Poker Night at the Inventory, an actual crossover between random properties they've dipped their fingers in, and a few that they haven't. Oh, and uh, this isn't really Telltale Games, but I often hear of Knights of the Old Republic spoken of as its own media entity, and not just some Star Wars spin-off, so they have to be doing something right over there. I could name more examples, but I think it's become abundantly clear that there are a lot of solid license games out there. They really respect the source material, and they find ways to make it consumable as a video game. And... They even have the potential to expand or enhance the reputation of the licenses involved. But what about when a licensed game doesn't accomplish that? Yep, it's time to kinda look at the other side of the coin, at the bad licensed games. Be it from having to rush the game out to overlap with a movie's release, or forcing a gameplay genre that doesn't fit working with outdated scripts, or even plain apathy and ignorance of what the license is supposed to be about, there are a variety of ways a licensed game can flop, without being a hideous broken mess even. That's not even going into the fact that the budgets for these games get diminished because of the cost of buying a license in the first place, for some of them. This is mostly a problem when you have a game based off an upcoming movie, again, due to that time limit that they're working with. To think that this long and arduous process that normally takes months or even years all has to get done in a much shorter time frame just because a movie is coming out around the corner. The video game adaptation is treated by license holders as something of the same caliber as the character mask that you can find in the costume aisle, Even though video games by nature take a lot more work to create, they're expected to just push them out the same weekend as a movie. So, let's look at some notable licensed games that weren't very good. Uh, A big one would be Superman 64, proof that superhero games aren't always good. Sneak King is a notable example. It's one of three Burger King video games that were sold alongside meals, though Sneak King in particular has gained a bit of a cult classic status. It's not so much that the game is bad, but the entire premise of the game just rubs people the wrong way. You're controlling the creepy Burger King, and you're feeding people by surprise. What were they thinking with that one? I'll be honest, I always kind of liked the creepy Burger King, but... I still really want to know what they were trying to do. Also, I guess that game had some graphical issues, that's kind of a bit of a problem there. A straighter and more legendary example of a bad licensed game would be the E.T. video game. Rushed development for very little reason than to cash in on the movie, and having the arrogance to assume that it would fly off the shelves. Everyone who knows about this game already knows how that story ends. A landfill full of unsold cartridges and the near death of video games as a viable industry in the West. Really, I could just go down a list of angry video game nerd episodes if I wanted to pull up examples of really bad licensed games. So maybe I will, let's see. There was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, that's one of his old classics that he played, he had a lot of trouble getting past that one, I remember, really weird. There's the Friday the 13th game, that game was like very labyrinthine and really weird to kind of keep track of Jason, oh, the Ghostbusters game, he played one of those, and they they couldn't even let you pause, so if you're playing Ghostbusters, then that's it, you're playing Ghostbusters, you can't do anything else. Um, Shack Fu? <laughs> Oh, Shaq Fu! That that is, I, I guess that is a licensed game. I'm I'm not entirely sure. It they do have licensed games based off actual athletes, like all those games that use real life football teams and players. So you could kind of consider those to be licensed games too. <laughs> Shaq Fu! That that game kind of became a a weird meme game where. It got notable for being so bad, to the point where, in more recent years, Shaq made a legitimate, like, reboot of Shaq-Fu. And I heard it was also bad, but not as legendary. Not sure what that's supposed to be about. Oh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, that was a really weird game. It's... It had this weird monkey tracker I remember seeing. I'm not really sure what that was all about. I think Hotel Mario and the Zelda CDI games might be considered licensed games because Nintendo was allowing Philips CDI to use the Mario and Zelda brands. See, that gets into a weird place because I don't know if video games have licensed games because then I wonder, like, does Hyrule Warriors count as a licensed game or not? It's a little weird. Video games getting their own licensed games is just a gray area in general because it just leads to a lot of weird games that are technically canon or not canon based on how the legality works that day. (laughs) You get Hyrule Warriors being made by Tecmo Koei, but Hyrule Warriors doesn't get any acknowledgement in Super Smash Brothers. It's really weird. Looking at other examples of bad video game-based video games, you get things like Frogger, The Great Quest, which I talked about at length in a previous bitcast, and it seemed to be one of my more popular episodes for one reason or another. Then you get the hot mess of Sonic Boom, which some people have argued is an even worse game than Sonic 06, because not only is it really glitchy, but it's also just boring. The saving grace here is that Boom was made by another studio and not Sonic Team themselves, and the Sonic Boom cartoon is considered to be really funny, and intentionally funny too. So they seem to be doing well with that at least. A really weird spot for licensed games is game show video games. Scott the Woz recently did an entire video showcasing some video games that are based off game shows, and they, they really do hit a weird niche where they allow you to play the game on your own, but on your own private terms, and without the chance of actually getting to earn any real money. It's one of those weird virtual experiences that really translates well more than a lot of licensed games can claim to do, since they're already a game. So, like with any other form of media, you get your good and your bad with licensed games. A lot of them are forgettable, but you get your cult classics, you get your masterpieces, you get your unmitigated disaster train wrecks that you can't look away from. Licensed games were all over the place back in the day, even from the beginning. you You couldn't even swing your arm without bumping into a few of them. But lately they've started to dwindle in the last decade or so. Video games are getting more recognition as an equal pillar to television and movies, so development tends to be more costly, meaning that we're probably not going to see Platinum Games breaking the bank just to make a game about the Wendy's mascot. Of course, licensed games do still exist. There'll always be games for Star Wars and various superheroes. There's that Battle for Bikini Bottom remake coming up, which, again, is historic. You don't get licensed game remakes like that. And they're going to keep making Kingdom Hearts games. So, there's that too. And I think I saw them make a fighting game out of Kill a Kill, which is really neat, because I, I haven't seen that show in five years by now, and they just, out of nowhere, made a game for it. I wonder how long they were working on that. Speaking of Platinum games, I remember that they kept getting asked, or at least Hideki Kamiya kept getting asked, to make a game based off Kill a Kill, and he got really annoyed with the request to the point where he kind of hated the idea, which is a shame, because when I finally did watch the show, I thought it really would have been a good match for the developers to get that license. I guess Legend of Korra works for them, too. I didn't actually play the Korra game. But I'm getting sidetracked. All of these are, just off the top of my head, examples of modern licensed games. These days, the cheapo games that are just thrown out for a quick buck, you can usually find those in the mobile sector. You'll see those quick cash grabs of popular movies over in the App Store. So, I guess with a little bit of time left, I could kind of reminisce about my license game experiences. I did play a fair share of Spongebob games, and... I think the two that really stuck out the most to me were, of course, Battle for Bikini Bottom, but also the Revenge of the Flying Dutchman game. That game isn't as well regarded as Battle for Bikini Bottom, and I understand why, but it did leave a minor impact on me. Don't want to give it too much credit. It didn't do that well. But again, there's that Shrek 2 video game that I played with my brother and my dad growing up. It was one of the few games that we all actually played together all the way through, all three of us. And it's just really neat because they adapt the story of the movie into a game, and most of the additions to the plot are pretty believable. I already talked about how they kind of embellished the journey to the Fairy Godmother's Workshop, But there's also the fact that the journey to Far, Far Away gets a bit of an extra level to it. Far, Far Away itself is kind of a hub and mission level. And later on, based on the climax, when you've got the giant gingerbread man stomping the streets, they reuse some of the maps from the Far, Far Away level. And they have, like, neat interplay between the player party and the giant cookie and they have all these, and they have other levels like this, too, where they just kind of pad out the storyline for an extra level, but it makes a reasonable amount of sense in the story. And a really neat thing is that in each level, they give one of the player characters a shot to kind of be the MVP of the level. They call it Hero Time, which always made me giggle whenever Ben said it on Ben 10 because I was always thinking of the Shrek video game. But that's just a really neat way to use the cast to their full potential. Not always all the way to the full potential, but it just really did a lot of neat things with that game. I think it's a bit overlooked as a licensed video game. The other example being Nicktoons Unite. I only played the first one and the second one, and... The second one was kind of eh. I I didn't actually get to the end of the first one, but I thought it was a lot better concept. In the first one, you go to the different worlds of the four Nicktoons involved. You go to the Danny Phantom world, SpongeBob, Fairly Odd Parents, Jimmy Neutron, and every character has to team up to defeat the villain of each world, and... They all unlock new, specific powers over time. It's really neat. It's not perfect, but a really novel concept, and it's a crossover that's done right, I think. Contrast with the sequel, which takes place in a neutral setting and has somehow both expanded and diminished the player party... They focus a lot more on Spongebob and Danny Phantom. Timmy is only there for one level. Jimmy doesn't even show up as a playable character. He's just on a monitor somewhere. Just really kind of a cheap experience overall compared to the first game with a villain that I've never even heard of, isn't even from any of the cartoons. I don't care about it at all. It's one of the few games I'll, I'd will i willingly talk trash about, but that would require me to care a lot more about the game. I, I, I think Attack of the Toybots was better received, but then Globs of Doom kind of messed it up, or maybe it was in the reverse order. I don't exactly know. But yeah, a lot of licensed games out there. Those are some of my more personal memories with them. It's really neat to kind of look back and kind of see the evolution of the licensed game. Because, again, you go back to the the Atari, even. And they were always making games about non-game properties... It's just a part of video games as a medium. You get that in other places, too. They made book versions of some of the Metal Gear games. I actually have one right now for Sons of Liberty. just kind of neat to see how video games can kind of interplay with other mediums and vice versa. But that's all I really have to say on the subject. If you liked listening to the BitCast, then be sure to follow on Twitter and subscribe to the bitcast on podcast one's website and mobile app thank you for listening i will see you on the next one listen to bitcast anytime on podcast one.com and on the podcast one app